This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson, and today we're actually going to talk about literacy stuff. Imagine that! We're going to focus on emergent literacy in a series of three podcasts. So let's take a look first at approaches to early literacy. <clears throat> there are two general approaches to early literacy instruction, and we're talking about children ages three, four, and five, preschool and kindergarten. There's a skills-based approach and a child-centered approach. So let's take a look at the skills-based approach. This is sometimes called the reading readiness approach. Now, this approach assumes that children require a great deal of explicit instruction in order to be made ready to read. They're not ready, they need lots of instruction, and then they'll be ready to learn to read. So, direct instruction is used here to teach a prescribed set of reading subskills, such as alphabetics, phonics, and phonemic awareness. And these are taught in a predetermined order called a scope and sequence. The focus here is on structure, standardization, drill, and practice. Lessons tend to be scripted and sequential with clearly defined objectives for learning along with expected outcomes. We expect these outcomes. Progress is measured using standardized tests. And if students seem not to be making adequate progress, they're provided more direct instruction followed by more drill and practice. <clears throat> Imagine this, if something's not working, you give the kid more of what's working, not working, so it cannot work to an even greater degree. Makes sense, of course. Yes? Now, there are some effective elements to take from this instructional model. However, the research to support the efficacy of a skills-only phonics-first program at the emergent level is inconclusive at best. While instruction that focus so, uh, focuses solely on reading subskills may demonstrate increases in measures of these same reading subskills initially, as we would expect, at the emergent level, these interventions have not been shown to demonstrate positive effects on oral reading, comprehension, word recognition, spelling, or on high-level literacy skills and later literacy achievement. <clears throat> As well, these types of interventions don't reflect what we know about human learning and how the human brain creates meaning. Also eliminated from this approach are early literacy instruction that focuses on children's social, emotional, cognitive, or physical development. And let me say that again. While instruction that focuses solely on reading subskills for young children ages 3, 4, and 5 may demonstrate increases in measures of these same reading subskills, at the emergent level, these types of interventions and instruction have not been shown to demonstrate positive effects on children's oral reading, comprehension, word recognition, spelling, or high-level literacy skills, and on later literacy achievement. I need to emphasize and re-emphasize that point. 
All right, let's take a child-centered approach, sometimes called emergent literacy or an emergent literacy approach. Here, literacy is seen to emerge as a series of naturally developing skills and behaviors as children are ready for them and as they're exposed to certain conditions. This emergence occurs in much the same way that oral language emerges. Now, this approach is based on observations of how real children actually learn within natural settings and not on behavioristic studies of how rats and mice learn to press a bar and get a pellet. These behavioristic approaches. As well, emergent literacy approaches have been shown to outperform skills-based approaches in measures of reading comprehension, writing, and metacognitive knowledge. Now, Noam Chosky tells us that humans are naturally hardwired to learn language. The same language acquisition device that the brain uses to learn to speak and listen is evolved in learning to read and write. And how do young children learn to speak? Well, for starters, there's very little, if any, direct instruction. Children aren't asked to work in ability groups. They don't have to do hours of drill and practice. They aren't asked to practice meaning, making meaningless sounds before they're allowed to talk. <clears throat> and they're not asked to talk about things that aren't important to them or that are not a part of their lives or experiences, and they're not asked to experience failure. Instead, children learn to speak because they're immersed in actual real-life speaking experiences. They're provided small bits of instruction in authentic speaking contexts. They're encouraged to talk about things that make sense to them and are of interest to them. They use language for real purposes. We allow children to learn to speak differently and at different rates. We respond to children speaking instead of correcting them. We encourage their early attempts and successful approximations when they're learning to speak. We incorporate creativity, humor, and imagination, and language is used in play and social interactions. Imagine that. In effective child-centered classrooms, these same conditions are applied to learning to read and write. Thus, we don't teach children to read and write as much as we create the conditions whereby all students can develop their full literacy capacities. This occurs when children are engaged in authentic literacy experiences with explicit modeling, scaffolded instruction, and lots of time to practice reading and writing. These same conditions, by the way, should be applied to literacy learning, learning to read and write at all levels, preschool through graduate school. So let's look at skills instruction in a child-centered approach. A child-centered approach doesn't mean you don't teach skills or don't use explicit and direct instruction. Nay, child-centered approaches to literacy instruction use very direct and very explicit instruction 
to teach alphabetics and phonics, phonemic awareness, and other sub-skills. However, these skills are taught in ways that are developmentally appropriate and in the context of authentic reading and writing. It's not the what of phonics instruction. It's the how and the how much of phonics instruction in which I differ from the reading readiness approach. While a skills-based approach starts with direct instruction of sub-skills and moves on to real reading and writing later, a child-centered approach immerses students in authentic reading and writing experiences first, then teaches essential skills within that context. This actually results in more direct instruction than a skills-based approach. With this approach, the necessary skills are taught directly in the context in which they're used. Also, students are not asked to make a link between abstract skills taught in one context and real-life literacy taught in another context. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can children read if we don't teach them? I know that's what you're thinking. Let me address that. Reading is creating meaning with print. At the emergent level, all children can read. They may use more picture clues than letter and word clues, but they can create meaning. They can tell the story using the pictures and tell stories that have been read to them. So yes, they can create meaning with print with that book. Now, most everyone agrees that learning sub-skills in reading is important. Where I differ from those who advocate a skills-first approach is that I believe these sub-skills are necessary but far from sufficient. Learning to read and write can't be reduced to simply mastering a predefined set of reading sub-skills. Instead, early literacy is more like a systems theory approach in that there are an, there's an interrelationship among multiple elements, the linguistic, cognitive, emotional, and social systems, as well as knowledge and experience. Each of these elements reinforces the others as well as draws upon the others. Thus, an effective child-centered approach focuses on nurturing and developing each of these elements in developmentally appropriate ways. Again, these elements are linguistic, cognitive, emotional, and social systems. Yes, emotion. Emotions are very important. Now, developmentally appropriate instruction. There's a reason why effective kindergarten instruction does not look like instruction in first grade. And this is it. Kindergarten is not first grade. There are certain types of instruction and experiences that are very effective for older students, but are simply not developmentally appropriate for young children. Thus, we want to avoid what's called the push-down curriculum. This is where a first grade curriculum gets pushed down into the kindergarten or preschool. 
with this stupid idea that starting it sooner is going to mean they're advanced further down the line. And that's just not true. If it's not developmentally appropriate, if children are not developmentally ready for uh, explicit instruction, they're not going to be further ahead. Keep in mind that children's brains are not adult brains in miniature. Children think in qualitatively different ways than adults. They also think in qualitatively different ways at different stages of development. Instruction for young children must be developmentally appropriate. Again, sooner does not mean faster learning. More of something does not mean better. From a developmental standpoint, educational experiences must fit students' social, emotional, cognitive, and physical developmental levels. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't address alphabetics, alphabetics, phonics, and phonemic awareness in preschool and kindergarten classrooms. No! It means that the form that this instruction takes should be developmentally appropriate. Again, it's not the what of direct instruction. It's the how and the how much. Worksheets and time spent drilling and practicing are not developmentally appropriate at the emergent levels, three, four, five, and six. Most instruction here should involve incidental uh, learning or involve play. This is how young children learn. So whole to part to whole instruction. Learning complex skills of any kind, such as reading and writing, is most efficient when addressed from whole to part to whole. When learners get a sense of the whole, they're better able to see where the smaller parts go, where they fit in, like reading sub-skills. Using this model, we would immerse children in authentic reading and writing experiences in preschool and kindergarten. We would have them reading real books and writing real things. And again, the reading at this level may rely more on picture cues than letter cues, but they are creating meaning with print. Activities include picture reading, pretend reading, echo reading, and choral reading. As well, we want children to write real things. Again, their writing may rely more on drawing than writing, but they're using pictures and symbols to communicate in developmentally appropriate ways. So, creating the conditions for early literacy learning. What does effective literacy instruction look like in a preschool or kindergarten setting? I'll describe some of the developmentally appropriate practices you might see. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive or complete list, but it should provide you with a sense of the types of activities that are appropriate for literacy learning at this level. First, there's lots of talk. Teachers should be having conversations with children, directing their conceptual learning, as well as introducing new words into their vocabulary. Oral language ability, vocabulary knowledge, and general knowledge are strong predictors of reading achievement and comprehension in later grades. Thus, there should be individual and large group 
teacher-centered conversations as well as structured and unstructured opportunities for children to interact with other children. Small bits of teaching, both planned and incidental, provide rich opportunities to build students' knowledge base and vocabulary. The second, lots of reading. This reading should take a variety of forms. For most, teachers are reading books with children. This provides opportunities for the incidental learning about words and concepts found in the book, but it's also the place for incidental teaching of phonemic awareness and phonics. For example, boys and girls, this story is called Big Bunny. See the ba-ba? It makes the ba-ba sound like ball and boy. We've been studying the ba-ba sound. There should be narrative texts or stories as well as expository texts or informational books. The classroom should be filled with lots of good books on a variety of subjects. Big books are used as well, with the teacher pointing to individual words as they read. Sometimes children read along with the teacher using choral reading. Other times the teacher reads a line of text and the children read it back. This is called echo reading. The teacher should also model the reading of lists and signs and environmental print. There's picture reading where children read or retell a story using pictures in the book. Children are provided lots of opportunities to talk about and explore books. Finally, there should be recorded books in which children can listen headphones available. Third, there should be lots of writing. Large group writing should involve language experience activities where students are asked for ideas and the teacher records their ideas on a poster or board or screen. For example, boys and girls, yesterday we went to the zoo. What should we say about that in our morning letter? Who has an idea? The teacher then writes down what the student says, saying each word as he or she writes so the students can see the letter sound connection. You want students to read short grammatically correct sentences. Thus, it's acceptable to paraphrase and edit when children say things. Choral reading or echo reading are used here to practice fluency and word identification skills. And language experience activities are excellent places for short mini phonics lessons. Knowing that writing develops in stages, there should be lots of paper, pencil, whiteboards, and other writing utensils laying around for children to mess around with and explore. Allowing time and opportunity for children to explore enhances the development of their literacy skills. Early writing takes the form of driting, D-R-I-T-I-N-G. This is a combination of drawing and writing. In writing a letter or story, the child starts with the drawing. The teacher asks the child, tell me about your story. The teacher then writes what the child says on the picture. When the child proudly takes that letter or story home, it's used to practice reading. Writing can also take the form of predictable stories. Here, an open-ended sentence is written 
or printed with a space for students' individual responses. And students' responses can be dictated or you can encourage them to write using invented spelling. For example, an apple, an apple is blank, an apple is blank, you'd have an apple is, and each child could say hard, smooth, cold, green, bumpy. This is a science lesson, but it's also a writing literacy lesson. This is called predictable stories. It provides a form of scaffolding, and it provides the structure necessary to be successful when they read them back. The teacher should model writing whenever possible to students. Lists or reminders work well. For example, boys and girls, I need to remind myself to take an apple to lunch. What should I write? As students provide an idea, the teacher writes it on the board or screen, sounding out each word as it's written. The teacher can also model writing posters and signs. The point is, students see you using writing for real purposes. You're able to teach and reinforce words and letter sounds in authentic, meaningful writing contexts. There should be play. That's how children come to know the world. It's the best modality for learning at the emergent level. And play can be used to both introduce and reinforce skills and concepts. For example, when teaching the B sound, toys or objects that start with the letter B would be labeled and featured. When teaching a unit on birds, a teacher might have toys or objects and pictures with letter sounds. Play could also involve flashcards and simple iPad activities and computer games other games, you're limited only by your imagination. And the last thing, the last type, uh, the last thing that should be included, the last element, element is planned, systematic, direct, and explicit instruction. Now, this may seem contradictory to the child-centered approach that I've described, but remember, it's not the what, it's the how and the how much of explicit instruction that's important when considering direct instruction of reading subskills. It is effective to systematically work your way through all the letter sounds using short bits of explicit sec uh, instruction, and this instruction should be 30 seconds to more than four or five minutes, followed by play or some other creative and developmentally appropriate activities to reinforce the letter sound. It's systematic because you keep a chart making note of the skills taught and the date. You also keep a chart or checklist to record when you notice students mastering each reading subskills. So not only are you using direct instruction here, but you are using very direct instruction and a very direct form of assessment. This same approach can be taken with sight words, phonograms, and phonemic awareness skills. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. We've been talking about emergent literacy, and we will follow up in the next podcast.